Hey there and welcome back to Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere. Good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host, returning host, Dave Ryan. Uh, Jack Lazell is away on assignment this week. Big Papa Rona finally got him. Uh, but fear not, I have two co-hosts that are more than willing to step into the breach and uh, create some very, very silly content for you here this week. Uh, first, he's a platforming prodigy. He's Dr. Merkel Morbius. Mark, how are you? You just said uh, Into the Breach, and now I want to go play that game again, because it's very good. It's a pretty I've good been, game. I, I've been playing um, some sort of Advanced War-style games this week that I'll be talking about in a while. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I still have Into the Breach on my Switch. I feel I like, I was Into the Breach one of the, the first in that whole, oh, remember RTS games and people like those until just everyone decided to stop doing them? Um, um I, I can't remember the timeline, because Into the Breach had only been about... Three yeah, but that's what I mean. Or it's or like, when, like, so around Advance Wars time was like the critical mass of RTS, and then like everyone stopped making them. And then when a couple of games like Into the Breach came out, everyone was like, "Oh yeah, these are these are pretty fucking good, man." Yeah, uh, I mean, I think as well, just the fact that like uh, we're at that point, that kind of merger of handheld games, but you can still play indoors. Hmm. That I think that created the opportunity. Like, I don't think you'd get a war groove. Maybe you would have gotten a war groove. Oh, motherfucking um, war groove, man. <laughs> but I think, you know, the Switch is just such an optimum place for that style of game. Yeah. That you can just pick up and play for a couple of uh, sessions or so. Yeah. Uh, joining us as well, he is the nexus of humanity. He is the man recently dubbed Extreme G. He is a man who absolutely loves it when young people say the word mid. It's Garrett Kidney. Garrett, how are you? I, I detest the word mid because what? it is the, the shorthand for I cannot be bothered to coherently convey why I didn't like something. So I'm going to lazily just say the word mid. It's a lazy Gen Z word and I'm going to sit in my millennial high horse right here. I'm, I'm sorry, is he not Garrett Midney? Ah, <laughs> here he is. Here he is. I'm hanging up on the Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> are, they, are you being worked by MJF, my friend? Is that what's happening here? Always, the TikTok people will come for me, and they'll be like, they'll cut together highlights of Link to the Cast, which is me saying something, and then MJF saying mid, and yeah. I will be thoroughly owned on the internet. Do, do you uh, have a, uh, you've got to be kidding me, TikTok account? Uh, yes, we do, actually. You do? Oh, look at you. Yeah, there you go. It has like 7,000 followers. Oh, what? wow. Wow. TikTok is easy. So, so you're giving out about TikTok, but you're you're big on TikTok. Listen, I am not above weaponizing the Gen Z <laughs> platforms, but I will still give out about them. <laughs> Using their own weapons against them. I like that. Yeah. I like that. But do you know, I just want to say, we, I'm pretty sure we have a Link to the Cast TikTok account. Did um, fucking do we? I, I think we do. I feel like I made one at some point. I was on a social media bender, and I feel like I made one. <laughs> Um, I'm pro probably, I'm pretty sure there's only like one video on there. Maybe I'll get yeah. back on that train. <laughs> yeah, Maybe. Best of luck. Yeah. I, I have an account, but it's literally just, I, I use it, uh, the cursory amount to vaguely understand what TikTok is for my work. Like when young people are talking about things that are trending on TikTok, it's handy to not be like, what the hell is that? Um, but other than that, I have no, no interest in it whatsoever. In my... In my what was now my old uh, position, um, I was constantly being uh, nudged into creating a TikTok account for our social media channels, and I would find any uh, excuse, most of them valid, considering like the audience that we had, yeah. uh, 
uh, to not create a TikTok account because I just did not want to be fucked with having a TikTok my, account. My primary TikTok consumption is friend of the show Barry Murphy's thread about uh, TikToks that have a distinctive Vine energy to them. Yes, yes. That, that I can get on board with. Um, but yeah, other than that, not so much. Boys, I, I want to hop into, there is some real good stuff we've been talking about, we've been seeing this week that I, I, I want to talk about. So, um, I feel like, Mark, let's start with you, because since the last time all of us have been together, we've all seen everything everywhere all at once. Yeah, we have. Um, so, I mean, do we want to say spoilers or can we stay spoiler free? What What do you guys think? Oh, I, I mean, think it's a it's, it's a double-edged sword because it is a very difficult movie to talk about without spoiling. But also you just want to blurt out the, but this part and this part and yeah. this part. It's also just a very difficult movie to talk about. Um, do you know what? Do you know, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to slap a big spoiler tag on it. Okay. So let's uh, go for it. You do that. Uh, so Mark, uh, as the person who saw it last, uh, lead the way. Uh, this film is unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I I just want to be a rock. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sitting there in your rock world. With my On the precipice eyes. of a rock cliff. Next to maybe one other rock, just sharing the silence with the rock. I, can, can, I, can I say to start with, that was my favorite scene in the film. Um, I, I feel like Patrick H. Willems has a strong case for a lawsuit. Uh, <laughs> seeing the rock with the googly eyes, all I could think of was Charles the Coconut. Um... <laughs> But yeah, it's God. It's just it's it's a film that somehow manages to be like it, it goes wildly back and forth between between being like incredibly nihilistic and optimistic. But even with the 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 sort of nihilism that exists there, it's still it still kind of operates in a way where like you don't feel like all hope is lost. Like it's it's like it's okay to not feel nothing but as you know just whatever's here that you do find any enjoyment in just enjoy that for what it is and it's 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 really i've never had like anything in that kind of like mentality of philosophy approached from that angle that i can think of and i just i came out of the film thinking like you know what now i certainly um when i was younger would feel a lot more like that and i i, I I'm in a much more kind of positive mindset these days, but I came out of this film thinking like, even if I do ever go back into that mindset, there are so many things from this film that I could pull out. That's like, I, I will always find a little kind of bit of hope or optimism. And uh, just, you know, if that alone from the film was the only thing that I'd got from it, uh, I would have thought this film was wonderful, but then there's so much more as well. Um, there is a theme with regards to that. Remind me to come back to in my segment because it's kind of I feel a similar theme to something I watched this week, where it's it's almost using, um, like nihilism or a negative outlook on things to almost like come completely through that to find the hope. Um, that's a like a weird common theme and things I I've watched this week. Uh, I was just checking our letterbox there, and uh, Garrett, as the comparative low man, giving the movie a paltry four and a half stars on your account, um, was it a case of five star fear for you? How did you find the film? The reason it's four and a half instead of five is I think by the time they got to the moral of the movie, the movie was maybe ten minutes too long. 
That is like the sole reason because I think this movie is sensational and wonderful. And I can kind of understand why people might hate it. Like if you watch it and think it's either too cloying or too weird or too stupid. <laughs> it, it, I, I totally understand. It does it, get stupid at points. It's safe to say it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is. And I mean this in the most positive way I can. I can mean it. It's an assault on the senses. This film is literally everything, everywhere, all at once. It's the best-named movie imaginable. Do you know what I was thinking? I don't know if you got this as well, Garrett. Like, I was maybe only 45 minutes into this, and I was like, Jesus Christ, they are so lucky that Doctor Strange came out first, because that movie would look like absolute shit with how it played (laughs) with the multiverse in comparison. This went swinging for the goddamn fences. And yeah, I mentioned this last week, but now that I can spoil it, I can talk about it in like specifics. But the fact that this film introduces like a multiverse where everybody has hot dog cans and they yeah. live in that world where they have hot dog cans playing piano with their toes and sensually, <laughs> sensually and yeah. weirdly seductively and rather disgustingly eating on each other's hot dog cans yeah. for some kind of weird pleasure. But they make you feel for those hot dog ca- hand characters. Yeah. It's the same with the, the raccoonie character. It's oh, like you feel, <laughs> you feel for that dumbass raccoon when it's separated. Ra- and- I, was, I said this to you guys in the group chat. Raccoonie is like one of the best dumb gags I've seen in a film in years. And they make you care about it. Like, honest to goodness, care about the dumb raccoon gag. Same with, like, the the rocks on the edge of a cliff thing. You will never feel more emotionally invested in two rocks falling off a cliff, ever, in the history of movies, than you will watching this. So, like, they take things that are very silly and very stupid, and in, like, lesser hands would just be throwaway gags. It's just the hot dog hand universe. But then they make you, like, honestly care about these stupid things in a way that is so effective and adds like so much depth and like interesting character to all of these scenarios. They don't just create a multiverse for the sake of creating a multiverse. They create a multiverse to make you care about it and to reinforce their central themes. And it's just such a smart movie. Honestly, you were talking about like depth there and there's more depth and you understand more about the characters and like the dynamics specifically between Evelyn and Joy. There's more there in two hours and 20 minutes than a bunch of characters in 15 odd years of the MCU at points. That's it's, the reason. Every time a superhero is, movie is three hours long. Like, I like The Batman a lot. It's like, d- did it need to be that long? Oh, no. no. No, God, no. Did it do nearly as much, like, universe building, character depth, and, like, emotional growth for characters as everything uh, everywhere all at once did in 220? Not even remotely close. I mean, I with that, you've obviously got, like, what, we're on to about the ninth iteration of The Batman at this point. So. Yeah. I wonder to some degree you can bypass some of that. It's like, hey, we don't need to, you know, see the scenes of his parents being killed again for the 50th time. He um, growls, he's mad. Yeah. There, go do your story. I, I will say, like, I'm in agreement. I do think that uh, by the time it gets to the point, there is about 10 minutes that didn't need to be there. But I, you know, I didn't have the five star fear. Like, I, I still thought the film was exceptional. Um, it's the best film I've seen this year. Oh. Easily. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Um, I don't Dave, even. I don't. I don't even think it's particularly close. Um, yeah, I. I loved it. It's just <laughs> so I kind of like. I had seen maybe some clips of the teaser, or some even some frames. I don't think I ever watched a full trailer for this movie, and saw everyone raving about it. And I love Michelle Yeoh, 
And I was like, right, okay, I'm going in complete, like, media blackout till, this, till I'm in the cinema watching this. So about five to ten minutes in, when Jamie Lee Curtis shows up, I'm like, this is a cute little cameo. I wonder how they got her for this little A24 movie. This is really cool. Um, Little did I realize that she's, like, maybe the fourth or fifth build character in this. Like, she's just a super important recurring character. She's great. Everybody, of course, has been throwing flowers left, right, and center at Michelle Yeoh, and she is fucking awesome in this. But I really want to uh, focus in on the performance of uh, Kehi Kwan as her husband, Raymond. Um, and in particularly, Stephanie Sue, who I have n- never seen in anything before as Joy slash Joe Butapaki. Um... I thought she was fucking brilliant. I really, really dug her character. And how, again, this little unassuming, you know, late teens, early 20s, unspecified daughter um, morphs from that kind of, you know, insecure and uh, constantly uh, harangued by her mother child into this terrifying trans-dimensional antagonist. It was so fucking great um it's one for a movie that is so in concept silly the way in which it delved into an incredibly complicated mother-daughter relationship and kind of generational cycles of you know uh trauma and having to fit into certain roles and and things like that were incredible. Um, And how it explores that, that thing that we already said before, how it explores maybe that the nihilism or the negativity surrounding where Michelle Yeoh's character is in her life, in her universe. And it kind of, even though that's really dour and really sad, the way it, the, the story kind of, crests at the end into giving you hope is is really like i thought it was just it seemed like it was just gonna be a real bummer uh in terms of like that arc uh for most of the movie but yeah i found it really weirdly uplifting and uh i talked to friend of the show ian about this and it's like literally in the last half hour of that film you feel pretty much every range like the whole range of human emotion at various points in it like you're laughing out loud you're nearly on the point of tears you're sad you're happy you're whooping it's just it's fucking unbelievable (laughs) and and also from like a production production aspect of it um i i've only watched a few bits and pieces but the the directors the the daniels um they were you know talking about the fact that there was like five vfx uh, production people on this film like the the scale in difference between the multiverse and uh, the multiverse madness and this and like this film looks unbelievable and one of the directors was talking about the bit where um evelyn's character is being like you know fucking sucked through multiple different multiverses all in a matter of a couple of seconds and he was like oh yeah i just i attached my uh like a camera to uh, a gopro tripod and was just walking around new york in different areas um and then just took that 4k footage slapped it onto a green screen had michelle stand in front of it pretend she was being you know thrown backwards and that was it and it's just you know like 
while obviously th there's an incredible amount of work that goes into the MCU films, and there are times where like a lot of that stuff that does look amazing, there is also a very distinctive like green screen effect look where you know everything you're looking at doesn't actually exist on the screen there and you know i will always be a proponent of, of visual effects where possible and practical effects where possible sorry practical effects where possible um and there's so much of that here where obviously there are bits and pieces where you know there's a green screen around somewhere but there's so much of this where it just it's either shot on location or shot in a way where it just it feels physical and real and it was done on such a smaller budget as well and i think that you know, I, I think this film does look better than the multiverse of madness. I, I always um, appreciate a movie that does, you know, time or dimensional travel in a slightly different way. And, you know, having come from the fairly straightforward, I knew it from the comics of America Chavez and her star portals being the way to navigate the multiverse to literally the way to create an anchor point and travel between universes in this is to, and I quote, do something weird. <laughs> So that it matches up with one specific universe where, you know, your the version of you in that universe is also doing that weird thing so that it snaps you there, your consciousness there. Incredible stuff. And so it, it provided like a a really good, you know, there, there'd be really tense action scenes that are immediately broken up with her having to do something incredibly weird. I mean, let's be honest as soon as you saw that trophy that looked like a butt plug you were like all right yeah. well this is foreshadowing something later on yeah like one of the most tense moments of action is two to three people in slow motion trying to fight over who gets to the butt plug shaped trophy first two of them are trying to get to it arse first so that they can hop uh universes and then i think it, it is michelle yeah is, is just trying to like keep their arses away from it so it's like she's kicking it across the floor um yeah it's it's such a fucking good film and it's it feels like we could spend the whole podcast talking about it and we still wouldn't do it justice because th there are so many things happening like you said it's literally everything everywhere all at once there's so many things happening and so many levels to what's happening i i think the way this movie is put together sonically as as well as visually is really really compelling uh, i think in the hands of lesser directors this is an incredibly unwieldy thing to put to film um and you know not just everybody can come off the street and do a movie like this this is very like a very singular vision which is ironic considering it's two people directing it um but yeah everything everywhere all at once just fucking go see it it's something people cry out for nowadays in 2022 going to see a movie that is unlike any other movie you know that and that's the that's the strongest thing about it we talk about the you know the characterization and the action the visuals and things like that but ultimately what it boils down to is you will not have a film experience like this this year and i know everybody kind of a24 kind of uh, are the butt of jokes of being like the, you know the the popular hipster movie studio du jour at the moment but one thing i will say is anytime i've gone to see one of their fucking movies in the cinema it is not an average cinema experience for me um so bravo to everybody involved in that film and i i really already want to go see it again um going to the complete other end of the seriousness spectrum mark um 
I I shared this viewing experience uh, this week. I also watched it. You watched Jackass 4.5. Yeah, I, I don't think this is a thing we need to spend more than a couple of minutes on. Uh, I don't think there's any kind of deep takes we're going to have. But Given you spent like 45 minutes on Jackass earlier this year. <laughs> yes, I realized. Well, I feel like we hadn't, you know, spoken about Jackass in a number of years. So uh, I feel like that was us we're kind of catching diving up. Into... Very much so, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it you know it very much kind of follows the the format of the other point fives. Uh, it's a mixture of like deleted scenes and, and bits and pieces that didn't make into the actual film, as well as uh, the crew just kind of sitting around and talking uh, when they're not sitting around and having buckets of horse semen or pig semen dropped on top of them. And uh, you know it yeah like if you've seen the others you know what to expect. There's a couple of deleted scenes that are uh, incredibly funny, quite just. You know, it's surprising to see that they didn't make it into the film, but I feel like, you know, they tried to keep the pacing of the films to like a tidy 90 minutes or so. So there's some stuff that isn't going to make it, uh, but the swings section is is hilarious. Uh, the bit where Poopies is, it's like a like a 10 second bit where Poopies stands on a ladder and knocks the ladder from underneath him with a hammer. Uh, it's you know such a quick little thing that could have made it into the yeah. film. What's, but, his, what's his line there? I'm poopies I'm poopies and, and I'll show me. Yeah, <laughs> great stuff. Um, and yeah, and actually one of the the really interesting things about it, and I didn't even realize this, is that it was one of like the first two films to go back into production post like COVID. Yeah. Uh, sort of like what late to twenty twenty, and uh, so you know they're. They talk a little bit about that, but then that becomes one of the bits where they have to do this kind of pre-COVID uh, safety check uh, precaution meeting, and they're all sitting around a table, and then suddenly, basically, the table like explodes with a bouncy castle that was set <laughs> yeah. underneath, and they all just uh, run for their lives. Um, so, yeah, I, there isn't that much to say. Um, I still think the best 0.5 bit in any of them was the Incredible Nut Shots. I don't think they'll ever top that to the soundtrack of Common People. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, this is an easy 90-minute watch. Yeah, it's just breezy fun. It's exactly what you want of an evening on Netflix. Um, just hooting and hollering. I enjoyed some of the extended bits. I enjoyed some more of the cup test stuff we didn't get to see from Aaron. That poor guy, yeah, like of all of them, Aaron suffered the most for his art in this I mean, whole Jackass know, Forever project. I don't know, Dark Shark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, because uh, I felt his pain on this yeah. one. Let me so, tell you. so Garrett, Dark Shark is like the the father of one of the new guys, and he's just this older, uh, older black dude who's like, uh, he I, th- I think they said he was a crip uh back in his day and the the son finds it hilarious that like even though you know he was a gangbanger you know for most of his adult life he's been been shot he has nine bullet holes in him um he is terrified of things like heights and birds um (laughs) birds yeah birds because there's one bit where they're doing a thing where um a bird is uh eating meat out of steve-o's uh butt and he's just like he's just like you watch that bird it's gonna take off and he's like the bird is like 20 feet from him and he is flinching like the thing is out of a hitchcock movie attacking him um 
but they really like I thought this I thought he was going to expire during this. They were going to do they got him they convinced him to jump out of an airplane to skydive. And that combines both the fear of heights and the fear of birds. Yes. <laughs> but they decided to do a prank within the prank where while they were up getting ready to do the skydive, they faked an emergency on the plane and had like dry ice machines to make it look like there was smoke coming from the engine and then the pilot came out of the cockpit sprinted past them and jumped out of the plane saying like you're on your own (laughs) (laughs) so even before even before they left the plane like he's just screaming oh god i'm gonna die he's caught between screaming and like i think he might have passed out standing up like he was making he was making noises if you remember the bit uh, the the stone cold Booker T bit in the supermarket at yeah, the end yeah, where yeah. Booker T's like oh god yeah. oh god <laughs> that's basically what he's doing and like there this is intercut with them interviewing him after the fact in the studio and he's just like yeah I was I was pretty sure I was dead at that point so I was just like whatever <laughs> you know it was like he was so convinced he was dead after the pilot jumped out of the plane that the jumping out of the plane part wasn't so bad anymore because he's like, I'm already dead. I mean, he still managed to scream the entire way down. Uh, and when he... <laughs> they did the thing, so I don't know if you saw any of the trailers, Garrett, but the bit where they had tied Aaron to a chair and they let an actual bear into the room with him. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, so they covered him. They, they put him in what looked like an electric chair, telling him it was one stunt. And then they locked him into the chair, covered him in honey and meat, and let a real bear in. <laughs> but in this, there's a bit where Dark Shark is in the room where the bear thing happened, and they lock him in and let the bear out again. And the bear is like, it's, it seems to be a really gentle, friendly bear. And he's just coming up to see what Dark Shark is doing. And Dark Shark is like pinned against the emergency exit out of the room and decides that the best way to avoid the bear mauling him is to put his flannel shirt lightly over his face to disguise himself. <laughs> <laughs> Dark Shark really was the star of the show. He uh, was he was one of the guys in the crowd with the jackass guys at WrestleMania as well. Dark oh Shark yeah, was there. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah jackass four point five was great. The whole thing was oh god. I I would be bring watching. on that Paramount series. Yeah, honestly. Uh, anyway, let's go into our wheelhouse, Garrett. Um, I'll let you lead on this. Chip and Dale rescue Rangers. Yeah, this movie rules. Yeah, and- man. If you saw the trailers to this movie, you probably had worries if you'd seen Space Jam 2. Because Space Jam 2 2 is like the bad version of this movie, where it's, let's throw every IP we own into an animated thing just for the sake of doing it. And it's terrible and boring and nobody cares. So when you see that, like, oh, the Disney Plus movie with Chip and Dale is going to put in all these other characters, it's just going to be IP overload, you're like, oh, no. And then you watch the movie and you realize, yes, it is a movie that has as many IP as they can feasibly put in it, but it's also a movie about movies that load as much IP as possible into it. So I'm not I'm not sure you legally allowed do that. It's like a brain melding puzzle to try and work out. Like, are you allowed to shove every IP you can possibly get into a single movie, but then make it a commentary on doing that? Maybe you're not. Who cares? This film is so good, though. They um on the continuum, it is a lot closer to Who Framed Roger Rabbit than it is. Uh, to 
that or to Ready Player One or any of those yeah. IP Fest movies. Um, I was telling you off the air, Garrett, while we were waiting on uh, on Mark, that I had no... I thought, until I was watching this movie, that it was a straight-up, like, no bullshit, it was just a, a reboot of Chippendale Rescue Rangers. You were just like, yeah, sometimes some crimes do go slipping through the cracks. Let's find out what happens again. I loved Chippendale when I was a kid. And then I started seeing people give this good scores. And still, without looking up the plot, I was like, right, I'm just going to throw this on the other night. And Mark, I don't know. Did you see any trailers about this or were you a Chippendale guy? I I didn't even know. I I watched Chippendale Rescue Rangers back in the day. um, But I I didn't uh, didn't know this was a thing until everyone started saying, hey, this is a thing that I'm going to watch. So I think we can pretty safely explain the plot without spoiling the movie itself. It's not a secret. Like, the the trailers are... Because, like, this movie is a movie about a world where all the animated characters you see are not animated characters, they're actors. But so, but they are animated. The car- yes, they, cartoons just live in the world. Is it like a live action animated? Like, yeah, yes, it's, it's Who Framed Roger Rabbit style, yeah, where right, it's, it's live action okay. with animation put in over it. Yeah, and like all different kinds of animation, including like stop motion silly putty yes. and two D and three oh, D. Wow. Yeah, and like th- there's a whole thing where Dale gets like the three D upgrade surgery yeah. because <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah, you get you get CGI surgery uh, in this world to like keep relevant. That's like the plastic surgery all the stars uh, well, and it, cartoons this... get. Is this film like commentary on the plastic surgery industry or something? Is this uh, where it, we're at? It is a commentary on a lot of things, my friend. Many, many different things. As Dave just celebrates Ben's and Mascorian. Oh, no, he's offside. Never oh, mind. Boo. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it is like, it is a, a skewering and a lampooning of a lot of things all at once. Um, it's, yeah, the, you could call this movie a lot of things all at once. Um but it's essentially, Mark, that instead of Chip and Dale, uh, instead of it just being Chip and Dale, it's that Chip and Dale were two chip cartoon chipmunk actors who split up in the 90s when one of them wanted to go solo. Dale was given a pilot for Double O Dale, a secret agent <laughs> show. Double O Dale. <laughs> and they split up and they weren't really talking to each other, but... Uh, Chip was selling insurance, Dale was desperately doing, like, comic cons, trying to maintain relevance. And and he has gotten the CGI surgery, so it's really funny when they get back together, because, like, one of them is still cartoon animated, and one of them is full CGI. Um, And it's, yeah, it's it's really funny, because it's like, their fate draws them back together, when there is a crime wave in town where cartoons are being disappeared, basically. Um, and one of them is their former co-star Monterey Jack uh, from the show, the Australian guy who was obsessed with cheese. And it is believed, I think we can say this, that it is believed that what is happening to these um, cartoons is they are being trafficked and uh, remolded to appear in knockoff movies being sold on the black market. <laughs> That's my favorite part. They're, you know, they're being kidnapped and forced to play 
like off-brand versions of themselves yeah. in, in knockoff straight to VHS and DVD movies. Yeah. And there's a bunch of gags. There's a particularly great Winnie the Pooh one yeah. <laughs> toward the end where they show all these knockoff versions of these characters. It's so good. Because like the the when you would say this is like a love letter to animation, you would think it's just because it has all the characters in it. Yeah. But no, it, it's a movie about animation. It's a commentary on animation. Good animation and honestly, particularly bad animation yeah. including i won't spoil one of the like the the main characters in the movie but it's someone who was very famously shoved out of his movie after a bad response to a trailer oh my God. and he's a main character in this movie oh it's my so God. good he is uh, yeah uh, like i thought it was just gonna be like a five second gag and then every time that character came back i was like fucking yes this is incredible um, I think I need to see this film. Oh, it's you legitimately, absolutely. it's so funny. It's yeah. like a really funny movie. Dude, Though, I'll say like, this, every, you, everyone I've seen that's reviewed it has only given it three and a half stars. So, yeah. Like, it's not transcendently funny. Like, it doesn't move the art form along or anything like that. But <laughs> no. it, is, it is like, it, you know, Garrett said it, as low a bar as it is, it is the best Disney Plus movie there's been so far. Um, it, It's a hoot. And it's like, it's only... 90 odd minutes and it's like as all films should be it's just a great caper you know what i mean it's and like the cast in it that's what i couldn't get over like it, the cast is ridiculous um so it's directed by akiva schaefer who is one of the lonely island it stars as chip and dale respectively john mulaney and andy samberg and Excellent. then in, I'm it as, on board. in it as well you've got will arnett eric banna keegan michael key Tim Robinson, Seth Rogen, J.K. Simmons. Like, the list goes on. And I will say, with Seth Rogen in particular, there is one gag involving Seth Rogen that Mm -hmm. I had to pause the film. I was laughing that hard. It's really good. Yeah, it's really good. It's really, really good. Uh, And they they, they use, like, references and stuff really well. And, like, to be fair to them, this is not just Disney intellectual property either. And that that was apparently like like one of the demands of the director that he was like, I will not do this movie if it's just a Disney fest. Yeah. So there's tons of characters outside of the Disney universe in this movie as well, which I think is quite refreshing. And I, it's one of those that I, I, I spent a long time after this movie thinking the legal wranglings that had to be done to license different characters and in the way these different characters are used in this movie, it just. It, God bless whoever was making those deals. They they did phenomenal work. I'm just sitting there thinking, like, how does that work? Are they sitting around the table? Like, you know, when you've got a fucking uh, a wrestling crossover and they're trying to decide who's going over in each match. Like, yeah. is it a com- what is the comparison to that of deciding who gets the right amount of screen time and what are they doing in those two minutes? I, I got to say as well, something I just remembered this second as well. Um, all I will say is there is a 10 out of 10 paul rudd gag in this mm. i will not say whether it's about paul rudd whether paul rudd as well there is a 10 out of 10 paul rudd gag that has a great payoff later in the movie as well sure um, does yeah uh and there's um yeah i i could have actually just watched a, a 10 minute montage of all the knockoff movies as well like just the the, the cover art for them that they have in this yeah uh, oh god yeah i really like this movie if i rewatch this don't be surprised if i go up to four with this um it's very very good it's very very good 
it, and it's such a pleasant surprise because you go in and you like first you hear Chippendale Rescue Rangers and, and your mind probably does go to the the, the cartoon, yep, and then you watch right. the trailer and you see oh it's one of those and you get deeply worried that it's just going to be the WWE you know old school Raw where the entire joke is just the person is there yeah. and that this film couldn't be further from that where they actually do write jokes about these characters instead of the joke just being the person being there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really well thought out and. I, I particularly I that night uh, after I watched the movie I was on YouTube and I saw maybe the greatest like media promotion for a film I've seen in ages. Have you seen the clips of John Mulaney and Andy Samberg on Jimmy Kimmel this week? No, I haven't. So they showed up to be on the show as guests, and then <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel got COVID for the second time in three weeks, <laughs> and they just went fuck it, let's have John Mulaney and Andy Samberg host the show. So they do, like, a segment at the start. They both do the monologue together where they're doing, like, as many cheap plugs as possible for um, Chip and Dale and about how they're definitely not angry that it's not in theatres. <laughs> and then the next segment is, I, I want to say it's Andy uh, John Mulaney interviewing Andy Samberg and then the next segment they just do the same interview again pretty much but just they reverse who's doing what role very good very and good. to the extent where they even show the same clip from the movie twice <laughs> 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 yeah it's it's really good it's a really good bit I enjoyed it uh, but yeah Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers I can't I cannot believe I'm recommending it as highly as I do but here we are Oh, I, I spent like a day and a half in a haze like that, just being like, I cannot believe that movie was that enjoyable. It, it's one of those, it had no right. Yeah. No right to be as good as it was. And I had a fantastic time with it. I mean, what does that what does that mean next? What's the next live action thing we're going to get that, you know? Like, could you, because honestly, from what you're saying, that sound, it would make more sense if there was like an Animaniacs thing. Like that feels more yeah. like the setting to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that that for me is the biggest surprise of all of this is like Chip and Dale Rangers is the IP used to do what this film is doing. You know what could do a good meta reboot of itself nowadays, but they never will. Freakazoid. Freakazoid. Yeah. I, I knew. I knew you was gonna say Freakazoid. Of course, that's me. My DVDs of it are right there. Um. Yeah. Um. God, if only, if only, lads. Yeah. Um. I want to talk about one more thing that I watched. Um. And that is the two-part HBO documentary, George Carlin's American Dream. Um, and this is basically the entire life and career of... I will absolutely hear the argument for the greatest and most influential stand-up comedian uh, ever, uh, George Carlin. Uh, it's a whopper of a documentary. It comes in between the two parts at about four hours long, I think. Um but it's an enthralling look into the guy's life. Yeah, obviously you're getting the greatest hits of a stand-up in here and they go through, you know, kind of show by show. The They they show the genesis of a lot of his bits, you know. Um, and there there's some great interviews with both, like, people who knew him, people who worked with him, um, and particularly comedians that were influenced by him. And... You know, a lot of these kind of documentaries about, like, famous comedians or famous actors and things like that will have, you know, these people were influenced by me. And usually some of them aren't that impressive at all. But you've got some of the most successful comedians of all time in this who are like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. 
Um, like Chris Rock is in this, given up to George Carlin as the as one of the greatest of all time. Um, fucking Jerry Seinfeld is in it, and he's just like. There are moments where Jerry Seinfeld is basically like, I wish I was as good as George Carlin was. They're just in awe of him. And one of the things, one of the recurring themes in the documentary that I think is really, really fascinating is they point out that essentially his career lasted so long. His career was five decades, you know. And this was a guy who was around so long and was so, like, not content to just get stuck being the same thing over and over again that he reinvented himself several times so he has three huge waves of popularity like when he starts off as a comedian on the Jack Parr show and he's one of those kind of like you know clean cut in a suit comedians on late night uh, at the start in the 60s you know that's one thing and then that kind of gets a bit boring and they talk about how one of the things that drove him wasn't necessarily popularity as much as he wanted to be himself and he wanted to be authentically how he felt. And he felt like he was being smothered by being that, you know, straight man, um, clean clean cut image. And that's when he grew the hair out, became the, you know, the Carlin of the 70s, the counterculture guy, um, and being kind of on a par. They show a lot of him and, you know, Richard Pryor being put in the same you know, circles as one another. And then it kind of like you get into, they talk about the end of the 70s, the start of the 80s. Now you have a generation of comedians coming up that are just like George Carlin. And they kind of outstrip him then. They're they're in, influenced by him and he's kind of getting a bit stale. So he goes away for a few years and then he comes back as kind of the, the one a lot of, people of our generation had recognized the older George Carlin with the black t-shirt, the black pants, um, that is kind of just doing, he, he says in it, which is really interesting that one of the comedians that was inspired by him in turn inspired him to change. That was Sam Kinison. Like he saw Sam Kinison come out and be this guy who is incredibly articulate like Carlin, incredibly well thought out comedy, but also had this anger and this this passion to his comedy, and that inspired him to do something a bit different. And he's like, I, I, I he has a line, and it's like, I didn't want to erase Kinison, but I wanted to do what he was doing, kind of thing. It's it's a really interesting look into the creative process of a, of a legendary stand up, um, and and his legacy, and something that people keep coming back to. And I think. With the Roe versus Wade thing we saw this month, it's really funny that the documentary comes out this month because with the Roe versus Wade reversal, I don't know about you guys, but I have been seeing Carlin bits about pro life being retweeted and go and like it is. It has been a case that since the guy died over ten years ago, periodically George Carlin is trending on Twitter and it's clips of him talking about something that feels incredibly prescient to what's going on at the moment. It is depressingly annoying how little things move forward, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Mark is... Uh, I, sorry, yeah. Yeah, uh, I honestly, I feel like there's a couple of different clips that I see on a constant basis when something happens. Like when there's a gun shooting, I see the uh, Jim Jefferies bit about the gun shooting. When I see something about, uh, you know, comedians and trans, I see the um, James A. Caster bit. <laughs> um, and then, yeah. when Brave little the, cis boy. Brave little cis boy. Um, and then, yeah, like I've seen a bunch of Carlin clips as well. And I mean, for me personally, I've never actually sat down and watched 
any of these any of these stuff oh, in like man. long form. Yeah. But it, I'm I'm surprised at myself because one of my favorite comedians is Bill Hicks, yeah. who is a self-professed like adores. I there's, there's oh Hicks, yeah yeah does there he come is... up in. Uh, no, he doesn't come up in it, but it is, right. if you watch Hicks, you see Carolyn. Yeah, you know yeah, what I yeah. Mean? So, like, and, you know, someone like me who, you know, when I got obsessed with Nirvana, I went and listened to the Pixies. So I'm surprised myself that I never did that with Carlin. And uh, I'll probably, yeah. Mm. I don't know if I'll watch this first or I'll go and listen to some of his stuff, but I'll I'll definitely make sure that I uh, I, I get some of that. It, I, I give it, like, I... I you know, I, I don't mean to diss Chippendale, but I would give it an even higher recommendation wow. uh, than Chippendale Rescue Do you know Rangers, shocking. Do you know what? I, I will make time for both this week. How yeah. about that? Yeah. I cannot believe Chippendale does not live up to the, the premier works of a legendary <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah, right? Weird, isn't it? Um, but it, yeah, it's an incredible documentary. George Carlin was great. And it's funny that Again, something that's currently in the news. How much of a rightful battering Ricky Gervais is getting this week for his, his transphobia? <laughs> but no, when you when you see Carlin, it it like the because it's the first time I've gone back and watched like long clips of his stand up back in a long while. Because I kind of watched loads of Carlin around the time I was when I was a student and I was super into. Uh, Kevin Smith movies because he idolized Carlin and he put Carlin in dogma and he would always talk in all his old blogs and some of his podcasts about how much he loved Carlin. So it, like that thing you said, Mark, you go back and you you listen to or you watch the people that influence the people you're really into. So that's that was my route into Carlin, unorthodox as it was. And I hadn't watched it in many years. And so when I'm seeing these long form bits and when I'm seeing a lot of him talking about his process and things like that, I'm like, Jesus, what a piss poor facsimile of Carlin Ricky Gervais is trying so hard to be. Down to the black shirt and black pants thing of latter day Carlin. It's like you absolutely are just taking whole cloth from him and are nowhere in the fucking stratosphere of this guy. You know, um, yeah. He was just a man who several times over in his life was ahead of his time. He literally changed the the course of stand-up comedy in, in America several times over in one life. Uh, and it was absolutely incredible. And there's some really interesting stuff about I don't think it sugarcoats him either. Um, because there are a lot of things about if you know anything about, you know, his marriage um and him and his wife's uh relative uh you know problems with substances she was uh a long long term alcoholic and he was obviously had a bit of a taste for the nose candy to say the least um they talk about that and they talk about his health struggles and and things like that so it's not you know a complete um beatification of him across four hours um which i always find you know it's much more refreshing when everybody is honest about it and there's bits where uh, kelly carlin his daughter is on it and there are moments where she's just like he was a fucking asshole sometimes you know what i mean it's like my mother was really struggling and because he couldn't cope and because he didn't want to address his own addiction um he would kind of just fuck off for a while because he had to go make money um so yeah, really, really interesting documentary. Um, and even though it is, like I said, between the two parts, like four hours long, it felt like it flew by. Um, yeah, I really, really loved it. Let's move on to video games. And um, Garrett, you are playing the popular video game du jour. 
<sighs> Vampire Survivors. I've lost literal time to this video game. Like, last Sunday, like, I played this for 15 hours over last weekend. And last Sunday, I played it for, like, six hours in a row. It was half three in the morning. And I had wondered how I had gotten there. That's that's the state I was in. I was in a literal haze, being like, where did the time I spent playing this video game go? I'd look at my phone and see messages from like four hours ago that I hadn't responded to, because I was so hooked into this silly, simple little game. Because I heard I heard multiple podcasts talk about Vampire Survivors. It, I think it became a big hit, particularly at the start of the year. And Barry started playing it as well this week, so that was my, my final moment to be like, I should play Vampire Survivors, because I've struggled for something to play after Tunic. I've been kind of bouncing around. So I played Vampire Survivor. <laughs> you hated Tunic so much you almost gave up on video games, is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, I abandoned the medium altogether. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, <laughs> but I did grab Vampire Survivors, which is, I believe, on Xbox Game Pass for PC, but it's also yep. only like 260 The game is extremely cheap anyway. So there's not much difference there. But I was like, I'm going to dive into it and... It just, it hooked me. I am lucky that there's only like 20 to 25 hours of gameplay in this game, or I would be in deep, deep trouble. Because it's still only in early access, so it's probably not quite finished yet. And when, actually I would say if this game can release on Switch, because there's a lot that goes on on screen in this game that actually the I, Switch secretly might not be able to handle. I really don't think this game would be able to run on Switch. Because like, it, it looks very simple on the surface, but like there is so much on screen by the end of this, these levels. There's literally hundreds of enemies and hundreds of attack effects firing off at once. The Switch probably couldn't run this game. <laughs> you get to points where it is difficult to see where your character is in like relation to the nearest enemy because there's so much shit going on, on around that there have been times that I was taking damage and I didn't realize it because I couldn't actually see where my character and the nearest enemy was. Yeah, if, uh, if you yeah. can't do crowd control in this game, you're dead. You're just yeah. going to die. It's yeah. just... So if, if for people that haven't played it, the, the nearest genre is probably Bullet Hell. That's like the nearest direct kind of game it is. So you play as multiple characters that have multiple different attacks, but it's entirely passive. You, you basically spend the entire game avoiding being hit and all of your attacks fire off passively. So like you have knives that can fire straight out in front of you. You have like a magic wand that will shoot at the nearest enemy. You have a garlic spell that gives you like a ring of around you that damages you. And there's loads and loads of more abilities and you unlock, uh, as, as you unlock more characters, you unlock more abilities because each character starts with a different and a different attack uh, so you basically run around trying to avoid being hit and surviving as long as you can as waves of enemies just walk toward you endlessly they just keep on running at you until you hit had the half hour mark and you technically win and you're killed instantly which is quite rude but it technically counts as a win even it took though me it, by surprise when it happened yeah because the, the, every level is a 30 minute time limit and if, if you get there which odds are you won't but if you can it'll just kill you because like the last minute to 90 seconds every so often like a boss enemy will show up and you if you kill them you get treasure and they're much harder to kill they have a lot more health but like the last minute or 90 seconds or so literally every enemy on the screen is a boss enemy so it is very difficult to kill them so like bullet hell loads of enemies running at you you trying to kill them you trying to crowd control you trying to stay alive that's that's the basic gist of it and it's so simple and straightforward that i do not i can't like quite get my head around why i lose so much time to the this game because i can't do just one run of this game it's not that kind of game for me for yeah, some reason yeah, same <laughs> e even though it feels like it should be it feels like one of those games it's like i'll just do a run and suddenly it's two hours down the line you're like gah 
I don't even like this game as much as you and Barry, and I keep and I've lost about ten to fifteen hours to this fucking thing this week. It is so addictive, and and again, in a way that I can't entirely put my finger on exactly why, but it's just it is infinitely playable. I think it is because it is like largely such a passive game. It actually yeah. it doesn't require a lot of brain power, even though you can get overwhelmed and you can die. It doesn't actually require a ton of inputs. Literally, you're just moving your character. It doesn't. Like, it doesn't ask a ton of you while you play it, which I think is what makes it so playable. I mean, it's like, it's it's a bullet hell, but it also, to some degree, is like a, uh, like a cookie clicker sort of mm. game, like an idle game, basically. You know, it's not that far removed. And while there is the, the strategy that, like, the, the basic strategy, or the two basic strategies you need to do is just decide what... Uh, items you're going to pick up when they come to you and just avoid things on the screen. Oh, I guess you need to like pick up the, the coins or the experience or whatever it's called as well. Um, but that's it. You know, it, the game does not ask any more of you than that. And it's just, it's one of those things that like for me, my build is always based around get as much garlic as possible and then just run into things. And then sometimes some enemies will take more, more than a couple of hits. So I can't run just immediately into them. But when you get to the point where, like, I if, I, if I'll have, like, I got to level 5 or level 6 of the garlic, and I'll get up to level 3 or 4 of the, the Bible that spins around you, I know which enemies now can be killed in one hit with that, and I will just run into them like a bulldozer into snow, and uh, and just, you know, immediately collect all the, the coins and the experience from that. And then when you get to, you know, like, 20 minute mark, and you're fucking completely overpowered, and there's still, like, the occasional enemy that will take you by surprise, but you can still wipe most of the stuff off the screen. It's just, it's very, it's like an oddly satisfying video to some degree, except you're in control of this, you have the agency. It probably reminds me of a Musou game with the same thing. It's like just you against hordes of enemies. It's not particularly difficult at times. The, the big satisfaction is just destroying, like, countless enemies. Sometimes, like, hundreds of enemies a second, literally, you'll be mowing down at one stage. And... Yeah, it's like, I'm not sure how we treat early access games for game of the year. They're, they're no bueno. They've got but, a 1.0. So if this doesn't if this comes out this year, it's my second best game of the year behind Elden Ring. That's that's how I feel about this game right now. So I, I, The other thing that I enjoy about it is it's also all dressed up in a... It's not Castlevania, but it's it very might Castlevania, as well be. yeah. <laughs> All of the like the cross item, the Bible item, the, the fact that you get health pickups, which is floor chicken. Like It's, it's very Castlevania in terms of aesthetic. Yeah, it's uh, it's an a la carte naming reference away from uh, an IP uh, trademark violation. It's yeah. yeah. Even like the, the first character you have is their default weapon is a whip. So like it, it couldn't be more Castlevania if they really tried. Uh, yeah, it's it's. I guess I would be interested to see like what their plans are because um, it goes without saying. You know, ideally as a Switch game that would be great, but mm. it technically. Like, well, for one thing, the game's made in JavaScript, which is, like, super weird um, for, like, a 2022 game. Um, but, like, honestly, you're playing it, and I feel like I'm playing a fucking Ludum Dare game jam game that was made in 48 hours, like, 10 years ago, or something. Like, there's probably, uh, like, a base template version of this game that I would have played on Newgrounds 15 or 20-odd years ago. Obviously, nowhere near with the same amount of characters and, and sprites on the screen, but... There's a version of this that I know I've played in a previous lifetime, and I think that's what... It's almost annoying me how simple this game is and how why why am I losing hours to this, because 
I don't think it's like a great game or anything, but I um you know I'm being sucked into it just because of its simplicity and its mechanics, um, and I guess I have to applaud it for that. Um, yeah, I I am curious to see what uh, like a full release looks like, um, because you know it's not just the one level that you do over and over again. Like you do unlock characters, you can unlock uh, like. Uh, you have all of your base level abilities, like your strength, your speed, your armor, and you can upgrade those as you collect coins throughout the run. Yeah, per- which is, permanent, up- permanent upgrades as well. Yeah, which is like the kind of the one incentive that you have to play at the moment, other than also to unlock the the levels. Um, I don't know how many like how many levels have you unlocked so far, Garrett? I've unlocked four main ones and a few bonuses. Okay, so I've only unlocked three so far, um, and I don't know. I keep like I feel like. Uh, level two is my sweet spot because it's the one that's so rewarding to just use God because all of the characters that you unlock all have their own specific ability uh, combined with one of the the items that you can use as well. So you've got the old guy that immediately starts with the garlic around him and all of the enemies in the, the early stage you can just run into and just collect and build up a bunch of levels and items very, very quickly. So that's the thing that I just keep coming back to and do like three or four runs and lose, you know, three or four hours. So, yeah. I was thinking about your point about the simplicity of this where it's like there are games that have like budgets of like a hundred million dollars that don't come close to maintaining my interests yep. compared to this game that costs three bucks on steam like what a world it's yeah. clearly make easy simple games that just hook your attention it's as i said it, it is the cookie clicker it is the the freaking farmville or whatever you comparison you want of these easy passive games that do have like an actual mechanical element and like as you said a surprising amount of strategy because there is like multiple different character builds like you can you can forego something like the garlic i i'm a fan of myself of having knives and the wand so that basically everything in front of me dies like yeah. everything i look at just dies immediately yeah, I, I think the one thing about the game, and obviously this will probably be expanded in time, because I was talking about uh, Peglin like last week or the week before, and that it's a roguelite in the sense that you know you can play the game differently because there's enough different items that you won't always see the same items in the same run, so it, it kind of bit, like changes your strategy to some degree. And I don't think there's enough items. Like if I want to, well, basically every run ends up with I will have a bunch of garlic, and I can always play the run that I want to. Um, which is good in some ways because it gives me the agency that I can, you know, do the run that I want to. But like these types of games, also should be trying to force you at times to try different runs, try different builds. Uh, and there's just I don't think there's enough items at that moment, or there's not enough like variation in the enemies to really warrant trying to do different builds, other than just you know if you have the curiosity. But fuck it, I'm lazy and the garlic works for me. And there are times I can just stand there and just have the enemies run into me, and that does everything for me. You can literally stand still. The stand still builds are my favorite builds. Yeah, I literally have an idle game at that point. It's great. Uh, Yeah, it's it's definitely a game that I really want to check out soon, um, because it feels like something we're going to be talking about, you know, towards the end of the year. Um, If it comes out. That's the thing. I don't don't know if it comes out, yeah. Yeah. Um, We shall see. you know, like... There is a version of this game that can run on like a potato as well, so yeah. you know, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, but it's funny because like I, it was something that oh maybe I'll maybe I'll get around to it this week, and then um, I think is it the days of play sale started on PlayStation, and like there was some really really deep discounts, like so I ended up picking up um, 
I picked up Far Cry 6 for like 25 quid and um like the complete edition of uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is down to like 40 quid so there's some like there's some pretty good deals going on at the moment so now I've actually increased my backlog instead of decreasing it but uh, such is life. Well, I picked up the Bioshock collection for free from the Epic Game Store. Yeah, which boy. Will sit in my collection for the next five years or so. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I, I'm going to mention mine really quickly. Um. Before we move on to Mark. Um. Uh, and that is, I'm kind of like as somebody who plays FIFA pretty consistently all the time and racks up hundreds of hours every year. Um. You kind of reach the point mid cycle with them where you know as somebody who just flat out refuses to ever play ultimate team and maybe once or twice a year gets into a run of playing online seasons i am super hardcore into career mode and you kind of start to try and figure out you know new challenges to give yourself um so there's like there's good career mode twitter accounts that do like you know here's a challenge like um that sets parameters for you know what you should or shouldn't do at a club but i decided to set myself one and start a career with united where i was only allowing myself um one proper so i i was only allowing myself buy one player from another club every year other than that every single player i will ever take into the club has to be either a youth academy graduate or um a a player without a club a free agent um, which has added a, like a really nice meaty challenge to things. They have, in the last couple of years, put a good bit of work into the way they do the youth academy system in it. That you can, you get a series of youth scouts and you can send them to particular territories around the world and look for various technical aspects, like whether they're going to be a winger or a player that's physically strong. And then you kind of look at their stats and try to figure out, well, does this seem like a player that's going to have potential to be a, a first team player or just somebody I uh, upgrade to raise transfer money by selling them? Um, that stuff has gotten a lot better over the years, as has, you know, if you give them a proper run in the team, how quickly you can train them up to be very good. So I'm in like my fourth season now of my career and I've gotten three players two of whom were from the academy and one of whom is i'm pretty sure is a regen of cristiano ronaldo but that's the thing like they kind of they don't look like them um is his they... name ristriano cronaldo <laughs> no it's what's his name uh it's federico amaral but it's that he's a striker slash left winger from portugal who is pretty good in the air um and pretty fast uh, so I was like, it must be a regen of him. But yeah, between him and then a couple of Youth Academy guys, it, it there's actually another level of satisfaction to it that if you just kind of go all out, if you are pretty good at the game, it gets, the career mode gets repetitive after about three seasons because you have more money than God and you can sign essentially any player you want problem-free unless they play for a direct rival like City or or Liverpool, they won't sign for you then. Um, it's been fun. Do you know it's been different because, like I said, I have kind of run out of ways to challenge myself at that game. But I literally, I can't quit. I can't not play that game. It's it is my chill out after a long day, or you know, play in the background while dynamite is on game. Um, something like that. So that's been really good. I I would like to hear if there's anybody out there 
that uh, does those kind of um, people sometimes call them youth academy bills sometimes people call them road glory bills where sometimes you'll pick a lower down club and you'll try to get them up through the divisions and make them a huge club just based on kind of the limited resources of free agents and youth academy um it's really breathed life into the game for me and made me kind of like see the way i play it a bit differently so yeah shout out to that it's Mark. funny to see people do things like that to make games interesting like pokemon's a yeah. big community as well it's like you have nuzlocke stuff and all that kind of stuff it's like mm. applying arbitrary rules to make this game that is either not challenging or just yeah. not interesting to be anymore or somewhat interesting yeah. again there was a re- there's a really good twitter account i want to i think it's career mode gems they're called on on twitter and they set these challenges like go to wolfsburg um you can only um you must keep a minimum of this amount of homegrown players in the team um during your first three transfer windows in each of them you need to sign one of this list of former famous wolfsburg players back to the club and things like that yeah th- those kind of modes are cool and that's where kind of i think like you were kind of alluding to there, Garrett, the community for a game picks up the slack <laughs> on mm-hmm. what the kind of developers didn't put into it. I don't want career mode to be a narrative thing. I enjoy how the way different clubs boom and bust in it and it seems to be like there's no it, there's no pre-programmed way in which that happens. Every time I start a new career mode, it's interesting to see after a couple of seasons which teams really start falling away. Like in my, in the one I'm in now, Manchester City as a concept have completely collapsed. Nice. Uh, I'm just after Christmas and they are 14th in the league. Personally, very much loving that. Um, and I keep t- I keep updating Jack on this, but. I'm really appreciating that Chelsea are one of my main league rivals, but have gone through an increasingly uh, bizarre series of tactical choices every time I run into them in a season. So for the last two years, their main centre forward has been Angolo Kante. They've just repurposed him as uh, a centre forward. And then who else... Madrid finally scored, as we're watching this. Um, This one appears not to be offside. Yeah. Um, and then there was somebody else. There was some other central midfielder they were after making into a centre forward when Kante got injured at one point. And I was just like, <laughs> they're like, we the can't bring in a striker. We need to revert to our formula of having a central midfielder be the substitution yeah, here. It was, and it was another like it was like uh, a Kante in as much he was like a, a destroyer defensive midfielder as opposed to a fucking attack. Like it's one thing if it's a number ten, you know what I mean. Um, and then what really annoyed me was that it turned out they had like Lataro Martinez and Paulo Dybala on the bench this whole time, but they were still starting defensive midfielders as strikers for no good reason whatsoever. <laughs> they were bringing on those two actual centre forwards later on in the game as wingers, and I just couldn't work it out. But hey, they keep finishing second in the league, so who am I to criticise? I mean, um, like, I wonder if there's something in the coding that just, like, bugged out at some point to call something like and that I, it's funny because i know some things about how they research and and build the the stats and the patterns of the way the ai behaves in the game are getting better over time because it's funny the amount of times i've seen a player who every time i play their career mode is like this player keeps going to this club over and over again it's really weird and then like a season later in real life that player will either go to that same club or will be you know in a big transfer saga where that club tries to get them and i'm like well hats off to you ea sports 
because I guess like there must be built into the coding, uh, you know, the probability chances that uh, this bracket of players, this pool of players, are more likely to go yeah. to you know club X or club Y. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, you're talking about the, the positions that they're starting in, and that yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So. Um, they try some really maverick tactics, some of these AI managers in this. And something I really appreciate is they've also finally, um, I think, fine-tuned properly the way the um, free agenting works in as much as when the idea of free agents kind of started in FIFA maybe about 15 years ago, you would get utterly bizarre ones because the AA wasn't great. And I remember one time I was doing a not County career mode and I was down in League 2 and I managed to get Robin Van Persie um, because he just went out of contract with Arsenal randomly and you get that loads of huge stars would go out of contract. And then, like, a few years later, it became the case where no player you've ever heard of would go out of contract ever at a club. And now it's kind of there's a bit more of a balance where if you keep an eye, keep one of your, your transfer market scouts on like with settings that would have them look for these kind of players, you will see on the first week of the transfer market every year, there'll be a couple of players is like, Oh, he's actually pretty decent in the free agent market. Um, that's pretty cool. That used to be um, my sole football manager strategy as well. It's like, cause yeah. what was it, like June 1st or July 1st, all the contracts would come up. So you yeah. just look at, look at all the free agents during that period. It's like, Oh yeah. yeah. You know what? 36 year old Frank Riri, why not? And, and that's also, so the, the first week of the transfer market is when all the regens flood in as well. And it's funny because they, it, it's not one-to-one in as much as it's not just regens come into the market it's all like there's ai created players as well so you might see a as you know a striker from uruguay come in um in the free agents and go well cavani just retired this must be the regen of edison cavani and it could turn out to be just some fucking egypt the computer has invented it turns out to be shit um, or at the moment, I'm pretty sure I just signed the Messi regen, but I don't know yet because I haven't started <laughs> developing him properly. But it, just in terms of like his physical build, the things he's good at at the position he plays, I'm like, there's a very strong chance this is the Messi rebuild. But I suppose it's going to take me two to three seasons to find out. Can you um, see if he has started getting some shit tattoos yet? Because that will give you a general uh, impression. Not, not as yet. Oh, the other thing I wanted to say about this mode is the, something that used to be really shit about the youth academy and the regens and things like that is the the randomly generated names and face builds of them used to be absolute dog shit in as much as the names were stupid and there was only about three different faces they could possibly have uh so it's a lot more varied now so you know they all at least feel like different players where for a couple of games there, anytime I try and dabble with the Youth Academy stuff or the regen stuff is like, oh, you would like to sign generic white man number five. Um, so yeah, that that's a good bit better. Um, not to waste everybody's time on FIFA, Mark. Talk about your games. So there's this game that came out on Game Pass uh, the other day called Floppy Nights, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, grabbed my attention, as I'm sure it yeah. would most people. And this game is basically, if you took the game design documents of Hearthstone or any of those like deck builder style games and Advanced Wars and smashed them together, you pretty much have exactly what Floppy Knights is. Uh, I want to come in with one question. 
Come on then. What's it? it what is is it? the card element necessary? Uh, in in what way do you do you mean necessary? If this was a game designed closer to the advanced war side of the inspiration than the card part, would it be a better game? Well, I mean, if you were to do that, you would just have Advance Wars. That's true. Like, <laughs> like, but the point I'm getting at is, like, I find a lot of games that are like, we have introduced a deck-building mechanic. It's a lot like, you know, five years ago when everyone was like, we have done procedural generation. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get what it, you mean, definitely. Is it necessary for this game? Does it make it better? Who knows? But it's the thing people like right now, so deck-building. I but, think, I, I really like it. I mean, I like deck-building games. I don't play a ton of them, but I did play a bunch of Hearthstone uh, when I was when I was younger and it was, you know, like fairly early on with that, that game. Um, yeah. If you were to take the deck building out, you do just have advanced wars. Like they're so, it's so like a kind of one-to-one replication of both of those games, but just smashed together that if you was to take one out, you would just have half stone or you would just have advanced wars. <laughs> but I do think that it makes a compelling game. Um, like the general idea is that you have like your, your map layout uh, and if you think of Advance Wars, like you have your uh, enemies that are positioned around the map and then you have whatever the objective is, whatever it is, clear all the enemies or capture the flag or defend this outpost for 10 turns, whatever. Um, but instead of having all of your like predestined um, uh, vehicles, assault uh, vehicles, or whatever in Advance Wars, what you have here instead is you have your deck, you have your main commander in chief that works the same way in Hearthstone that once they're eliminated, then it's game over. So you want to use them. They, they'll have their own like passive ability and attack pattern and stuff as well. Um, but obviously you need to keep them safe or keep their HP up at all times. And then you build your deck around them. And within that deck, you'll have a bunch of different uh, like smaller units that you can spawn. And then once they're spawned into the map, they'll also have their own like unique cards that you can play as well. And then it does the the thing with Hearthstone where you have X amount of mana that you can use per turn. So you have to, you can't just use every card in your hand. You have to think about like how you want to play. Um, and within that deck of up to 30 cards, you'll be, you draw, I think like six cards every turn. So you don't always have the same cards per, per turn. And once you've burned through the deck, it'll then refresh and you start again. And so within that deck, yeah, you, you know, your first card you always put down is your commander, wherever on the, the, the specific part of the map that you start. And then you have a bunch of things you can, you can do from there. You can't move the character freely. Um, each character has their own uh, unique uh, amount of tiles that they can move, but you have to use, like, it's called a move tile. Or there is whatever type of card that lets you move, but then does whatever other, like, ability as well. So, you know, if you have five or six characters uh, on or units on the screen, there's a good chance that you're not going to be able to move all of them in one turn. So you kind of have to think strategically about where you want to move and also thinking about where your enemies are and like where they're going to move on the next turn and how that's going to impact. Um, and then from there as well, like, you know, you have different units that are more ranged, that are like glass cannons, that are tanks, etc., etc. So you can build the deck. They'll, yeah, you can build your deck to kind of like to your play style. Keep, keeping in mind that the missions do vary up and do ask different things of you. And, you know, I, I, I've done the first two worlds that are like four levels each. And I, I think it's a really, I don't think it's anything that's like groundbreaking. It is kind of like, as you mentioned there, where it's like every game tries to do deck building for a while. Um, but I think this is a game that like these two styles complement each other. And uh, 
Uh, if you like either of these styles, you'll probably enjoy this game. If you fucking hate either of these styles, you're not going to like this game because the other style isn't going to, you know, like drag you kicking and screaming to like the other one. But I, you know, like, it's the type of thing, if you were to play it for 15, 20 minutes, give it the old Garrett method, you'll get a quick understanding if you think that you would want to play it more. But I sunk a good few hours into it and I'm more than happy to see it through to the end. Interesting. Mm-hmm interesting and it is on the old game pass yeah so. you can't go wrong then you, you the, the game pass is perfect for Garrett, the garrett method frankly it really is isn't it <laughs> they, they yeah. should add a tab on freaking game pass on the the xbox store being like ideal for garrett method <laughs> i'll chat to, to the like, big expense about it and see if i can get that done does you could do like the garrett method collection on there yeah here are games that you can download and have a great 15 minutes with yeah or at least within 15 minutes you'll know yeah Speaking of games that I know Garrett played for 15 minutes and didn't like, and, uh, and you know, like, here's another of my Game of the Year contenders that he's going to... Tear gonna down ruthlessly. Uh, but I feel like this one, I feel like this one from the, the brief amount we discussed uh, is more just, it's not, you know, conducive to your type of game that you enjoy, which, you know, like, an, an, an objective matter, I can't really uh, fault you for, so whatever. Yeah, we were talking about this at the at the end of the last week's show, where it's like, Tunic was a game for me that I really didn't like, like yeah. but, like, it's a game that very much should have been my kind of game, and whereas this, I did play this for, like, 15, 20 minutes, and I was just like... There's so much text. There's so much reading. I don't even know what the game is. Close the app. <laughs> yeah. So this is Citizen Sleeper, which I've been I've been kind of uh, sleeping on now for about two weeks because I finished it a while ago. But just uh, there are other things that I wanted to talk about first. It's the sleeper hit for game of the year, is it, Mark? It kind of is in a lot of uh, in a lot of circles and a lot of publications. Like uh, some big people have been bigging up this game as a, as a sleeper hit for game of the year. Whereas Garrett um, fell asleep or playing it. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. So, all right, off the bat, there is one big problem with this game. It doesn't do a particularly great job of introducing you to the mechanics. Um, it just gives you a bunch of text and a bunch of screens and says, here, here is how everything of this game works. Boom. That is legit. That's exactly what turned me off. There was like three, there was a screen that was broken up into three sections. It's like, here's your three options. And it's like, nope, just nope. And I am someone who does not like subscribe to that approach to game design. And, you know, like on a, on on another day, I would have just gone, nah, fuck this. I'm, I'm, I'm good. But I just come off of the back of Norco and I still had the flavor for like another narrative style game. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get through this, try and get past that first hurdle of understanding what the fuck this game actually wants me to do mechanically and, you know, hope we go from there. And in fairness, if you play it for about 20 minutes, you've got about, I'd say, 70% of an understanding of how the game actually flows and what it wants to ask of you. But you do have to get through those 15, 20 minutes. And yeah, it is one of the bigger... Uh, complaints that I can understand like if you don't want if if you can't get through those first 15 20 minutes and obviously if you don't want to play a game that's very text heavy then yeah you're not gonna kind of stick around for it so and like the writing is very like flowery like they're writing and it's not bad writing or anything it's just very very much like effortful writing it's like we're we're trying to write good writing here as opposed to most video games it's just like just stock text that tells you exactly what you need to know yeah I mean like okay so the big thing about this game obviously is yes it's very um uh narratively driven and it's very heavy on on its text um but i think that it's one of the better games in terms of like its writing and certainly in terms of 
the pacing of the the character arcs that you experience and like you get in an understanding of this world like i think this game does some really really strong world building so like your the the plot of the game is you are what is called a sleeper um it's you know quite blade runner inspired you are someone that you're uh, like this kind of synthetic machine that is part human as well i think that has had uh, its memories from uh, another human placed onto yours uh, i think because it, the game doesn't like directly tell you unless you go through specific branching paths because one of the things with this game is it's not like a linear story you can really go off in a bunch of different directions depending on what way you want to approach this game but from the, the 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 amount that i got about the understanding of my character uh or you know the sleepers is that yeah your memories have been planted onto you from someone else and so you're not really sure about who you are what is real in terms of your memories your um experiences and what is this other person's uh you end up on this giant uh spaceship rig that um i guess you could kind of say it's a bit like snowpiercer but in space to some degree um but you know there's this uh giant civilization within this giant spaceship and people are trying to get by and there's definitely um a, a sense of using like snowpierce as a template there's definitely this kind of class war going on and just throughout the course of the game you're meeting different uh characters who some of them you know have jobs for you um that you can partake in to um the the currency on the ship uh, some of them have uh things that they want from you or need from you that you know they're going to trade with you in return um bits and pieces that lead to other parts of the story that i won't dive in too far into and then there are just characters that you meet that are just you know trying to get by like you and you you know if you take a liking to them you can try and help them out um and dive further into to their character arc and i don't know like how many different endings there are and i don't know how all of those endings go but certainly like the ending that i got uh with the characters that i met uh genuinely did a really incredible job of like you know hitting that kind of emotional uh peak for me um and so from that aspect you know like did this game grab me uh with its story and and hit me on an emotional level it absolutely did um the thing that is going to really be the crux i think is in terms of like the actual mechanics and how you th flow through this game so it uses like a dice roll system where uh you have like the cycles uh like each day and you're given uh, a number of dice each day and they're up at the top of the screen and like you have two health bars one is like your health bar which is basically it's you know like your hunger meter almost and that will like reduce over the course of a day or two so you're constantly having to keep that one up and then your other meter is like your like critical stats status basically um like your body is constantly in a state of decaying um and at some point you know your body is programmed to like fail basically and die again using kind of blade runner as a reference so you have to find ways i'm to pretty get... sure most bodies fail and die if you don't keep them off to be fair that is true that is fine i i have more than enough experience with that it's a fair point uh but this is done in a much shorter period of time uh than you know the average lifespan so when you have like full critical health you have like stronger die and you have more of a chance of whatever uh, kind of quest you're going into 
um, if you have a higher diet, obviously you have a higher probability of getting a successful role. Um, or not a successful role, but like, so you might come into a, a quest that you want to do. They then get split into two branching paths and you can pick which one you want to do. One is usually more risky than the other. So if you do the one that's like the safe option, um, you might have like a, a die that has a two on it. And that's obviously got a really low chance, but because it's the safe option, it's more likely to be successful. Like it's split into like positive, neutral, and negative. And the the quest will kind of show you uh, if you get a positive outcome, it will give you you know like something good basically. And if you get a negative outcome, you might lose some health, you might lose uh, some currency, whatever the case may be. So obviously, you know, you want to kind of trade off between right. This is the risky option. But it has some great rewards, so I'm going to use my high-sided die um, because, you know, I want to try and get whatever's on here. And, like, each of the quests will be split into, uh, like, a pie chart of, say, maybe three attempts that you need to do with this that need to be successful. Or maybe, like, 20 if it's, like, a, a kind of critical path sort of thing. So you will be doing that one over the course of a week, going back, trying to uh, get as many critical, uh, successful attempts on that as possible. And it is quite slow paced at first, and certainly for the first hour or two, there's a lot of tension in that it's hard to keep your health and your critical life up, so you do end up with some like pretty shitty die for the first hour or so, and it gets quite, it can get quite uh, frustrating trying to get certain things accomplished. And earlier on in the game as well, you run into a situation, I don't know if this is on every run, but you basically have like this kind of bounty hunter that's coming after you and you don't know exactly when he's coming but he's going to appear at some point in in the near future which sets a level of tension because the game doesn't explicitly tell you like how failing this game works or if there is like a game over i never ran into it um the only thing that i ran into is that if i got too hungry uh you can upgrade you can get like stat points that you can use to upgrade like different things like letting you re-roll your die on a specific day or letting you get like 20% off different uh, currency purchases. If you get too hungry, it will basically cancel those out and you'll have to get another stat point again to unlock at least like unlock them again, not the whole way. Like if you've put two or three stat points in, it'll let you keep them, but you have to use one stat point again to unlock that to use fully again. This sounds, honestly, this sounds like a game I think I'd enjoy watching a playthrough more yeah. than playing I, one. Well, that, that was going to be my big question. Uh, like, has the Mark Robinson explanation enticed you anymore to pick this one back up? I don't think so. I, no. I, I, like, I, I, I think I, like the, the thing about this game that is good is the narrative stuff, and if I just watch somebody play it to get all the narrative stuff, I think I'd enjoy it more. Yeah. I think, like, your your passion for how your, like, your experience with it is certainly persuasive, Mark, but, like, when I kind of try to get past that and just listen to the mechanics of the game, I'm just like, but here's the oh, thing. this doesn't seem like it would be fun for me at all. Here's the thing, though. Um, explaining that mechanic is not particularly fun i get yeah. that and you know part of it probably is my failure to explain it um, but do you know it, it reminds me of like when i was trying to explain the mechanics of disco elysium to you guys sure yeah. it's like when you try and describe that it sounds like oh fuck this yeah 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 definitely um i do think like you i guess specifically dave because i know that you're more in tune with this type of game than apparently garrett at this point like, if it's not I making do... numbers go up and my brain go woo 
Ooh, I don't yeah, care I don't. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that um, is my entire video game preference, like, boiled down to a single sentence. If I, I hope if that's, I like, your argument game. in Game of the Year for stuff. It's like, well, my brain didn't go, woo, numbers weren't going up, so. If I can't play this in a window on the side of my screen that's, like, 540 by 540, then what are we even doing here? Damn yeah. right. Yeah. No, for you, Dave, specifically, I think that certainly, like, um, the, the way that, like this story presents itself and certainly some of the character arcs like i because i for me like i do not play games a second time for the most part i just cannot be bothered unless it's something that i can just like close my brain off to like a mega man or whatever but i do want to play this game a second time through because i there are so many different ways that your character can go and there are i, I guess there are certain characters that are like the critical path adjacent to those characters and it does seem like you know you can get to certain points where you can make a decision like, right, this is the character that I want to kind of go with and invest in and, you know, get to the end of the story arc with them. But you can, with a bunch of characters, like, keep with them and see, like, you know, just what's going to happen next. And, you know, the the, the characters that I met were, uh, like, this dad and his daughter who, you know, again, very working class, like, living barely within their means. Um, and, you know, like, I, I, I got attached to them very quickly because the daughter gets attached to your character and you almost become, you know, like a, a kind of parental parental guide to them. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of drew me in and I wanted to see through with them, um, like, to the end. And, you know, I, I just think that it, it does some really strong stuff with some of its themes. Like, there's definitely stuff with, like, transhumanism, ableism, again, like, you know, working class, class warfare sort of stuff. Um, and I think... I think the game here from a story aspect i think you would really enjoy once you get over the first 20 minutes or so of understanding like because honestly mechanically it's not actually that complicated but you do you know when you play a board game for the first time and you're reading the instructions like i don't know what the fuck is happening here like when i play a board game for the first time i need someone to play it with me who's played it before and actually just play it for 20 minutes and then i understand what i'm doing i can't sit there and read instructions for a board game i will never learn that way um, so I think with you, it's a case of just you need to just sit there and just play it for 20 minutes, figure it out, and then go from there. Um, but, like, for me, it is my game of the year at the moment. Um, naturally, until I play Elden Ring, obviously, then, you know, everything will change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the rule. You but, have to put it first. It's, there's no other option. No, I know, right? Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I think it, this game is is proper, properly uh, exceptional. Um but yeah, I do understand that it does have some drawbacks. Yeah, unlike Tunic, which I will be mean to, this is just not a game for me. <laughs> which is no commentary on the game, rather than just me. I am so hoping come game of the year that I get to go first because I'm taking Tunic off and I'm not giving you the satisfaction. Oh, no, no, Dave, rig the voting. Dave, I, I will Dave, absolutely rig, rig the voting. <laughs> um, I'm not above it. Uh, for comedy value, let us make a departure now and go into the news. And even though I feel like. Uh, we are a long time away from the heyday of Konami Corner. I feel the regularity with this, with what this company does to get in the news, that we are rapidly approaching Activision Alley being a, a regular segment on the show. Um, when a news story begins with Activision Blizzard, you know it's not going to end well. Um, and Mark, this week is no exception. Uh, yeah, so... 
A new staff group within Activision Blizzard has been formed to fight for worker rights. Yeah. That, especially... I, that in and of itself, quite positive. But the things that seem to be coming out, the things we hadn't heard that are coming out as a result of this are grim again. Yeah, so the Worker Committee Against Sex and Gender Discrimination has been founded by 12 current and former staff members. Uh, including high-profile member Jessica Gonzalez and has presented a list of demands to entitled boss Bobby Kotick, reported by the Washington Post. Issues raised include improvements to private breastfeeding areas and enter undocumented meetings with HR, improved support for transgender employees, two weeks extra pay time off for parental leave after 12 weeks, and the need for independent investigations into allegations of discrimination. The letter to Kotick alleges breast milk was being stolen from company fridges, which were not secure. Previously publicized reports from Activision Blizzard staff included claims of poorly equipped facilities, which male employees had historically used for phone calls or a nap. The worker group is now calling for lactation rooms, which can be accessed only by those actively using them and not to have a clock out to breastfeed. Uh, this week brought word that a group of 28 QA testers at Activision Blizzard's Wisconsin-based Raven Software Studio had won the vote to unionize, which is the first in the U.S. to do so. Following that announcement, one team member said the victory meant employees at the beleaguered company would finally be able to fight for respect, fight for better wages, better benefits, better work-life balance, sustainability and job security, and continue to fight for our fellow workers in solidarity. Can, um, can I just say on this yeah. that... Uh, Reports of breast milk being stolen is one of the most unsettling things. I Like, everything about the stuff that's come out over the last year or two about Activision has been not good and horrible, but this one gave me a, a particular kind of creep-out feeling. Yeah, the more you think about just the idea that someone is going around stealing breast milk, the yeah. more you're like... Well, why? There, yeah. yeah, there is never a question you want to examine yeah. further. Or Unless you are using it as directed for feeding a baby, every other potential reason to steal breast milk is super, super bad. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, unless it's just been done purely as a malicious thing. Yeah, um, that's still super bad. Yeah, it, I mean, it's still terrible, but it's almost like the best case scenario. <laughs> yeah, just, it's the best of a bad troll. lot. It, at it's least just mean spirit bullying of the person yeah, who needs if, the breast if, milk. That's the best option here. If it's just somebody who hates babies, uh, that is the best option. Um. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like this at but all. Hey, we we have a union finally yeah, in America, so yeah. that's good. Yeah, there have been some interesting, and I, I like I've I've talked with people about this, and it's interesting the way in which um I feel like partly it it's things like big companies like Activision having all these scandals erupt, but I think also partly uh it's due to the pandemic and the way that's made people kind of reevaluate their relationship to labor. 100%. Um, yep. Yeah, that I, I think people now are, for a myriad of reasons, uh, less willing to put up with the shit that they were before. We're not happy little capitalism drones uh, as much anymore. Um, because, you know, between this, you know, the, the increasing rate at which... Uh, Starbucks employees are getting unionized and a bunch of other companies this kind of things is happening for um 
there have been real positive strides in the last year or two with regards to labor movements in 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 large countries and large sectors of industry which is always good always good yeah and you had that thing where like so many people were quitting their jobs during and coming out of the pandemic that they literally created a word for it like the great resignation like so many yeah. people are fed up <laughs> yeah. and frustrated with work that they're just like I need time away from whatever I'm doing. And like every week in the news, there's a news yeah. story on the 6-1 this, this week that it's like, oh, the Vintners Association are talking about how we can't get bar workers. It's yeah. like, hmm, I wonder it, why. Somebody said that to me recently in work. They were like, you know, probably for the first time in a generation, it's like an employee's market. When we all came out of college back in the day and school, we came out during the recession and it was kind of, you were thankful for any fucking job that was willing to offer you uh, employment whereas now people can be a bit more discerning and not take the biggest piece of shit company that's available to them there there are some I mean, options for people now not everybody obviously do you know what i mean it's I was not say i mean we are nosediving yeah. like straight headfirst back into another recession yeah so. but 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 at the moment like it is you know if you are somebody trying to get into work it's kind of uh it is marginally better than it was when we were we were coming of age trying to look for work and you know I'd end up in like when I was working in a in a hotel which is just a fucking miserable experience because it was a fly by night operation um where there was really a lot of health and safety issues that I very easily I remember, easily, I remember yeah, some of your as, stories I was the only person yeah. working in a giant hotel at night and I had to lift uh, seven foot conference tables up and down a set of stairs because they wouldn't let me use the lift with the tables and like because I was the only one working in the hotel if I had like fallen and broken my neck uh, I That's would not have been I would not have been found for eight hours yeah because I was the only one there yeah really fucking grim stuff back in the day but things are slowly, very slowly getting better for some people, and that's that's good. The the interesting thing, like, if you look at any number of, uh, like, tech-style jobs now on uh, anywhere, really, like, it's, it's hard to find one that doesn't include either is a remote working job or yeah. is a hybrid-style yeah. job. I know? think that, that was one of the big damn breaks, was that I, I think for pretty much our entire working lives, was, it, it felt like you know with the increase in technology and things like that uh, employers were really tenuously trying to hold on to the idea that working from home would never work and then funnily enough as soon as the pandemic started and they had to figure out a way to make work from home work all of a sudden it actually works quite well for a lot of people um so yeah that that that's an interesting one as well but uh let's move on to a completely different tack and uh that is uh the discovery this week that ps plus is using pal versions of first party ps1 games the subscription which is now launched in in asia um finding out that some ps1 games are using the pal as in europe australia and new zealand version instead of ntsc which is the asia america version that means they're being presented in 50 hertz instead of 60 hertz resulting in a lower refresh rate and therefore lower frame rates so they're essentially using a version of the game that makes it look a bit more like shit yeah i mean so it's not all of them uh it's yeah. kind of interesting that there's no like hard and fast rule for this there are some games that are using the 50 hertz version uh and some that aren't so like first party titles ape escape everybody's golf wild arms jumping flash and karushi are based on the european pal versions but uh third party titles so like worms tekken 2 siphon filter abe's odyssey and mr driller are the ntsc versions um 
so it's kind of weird. It's like, why is that the case? Is this based on whatever fucking ROMs they downloaded to use for this? Um, or is it like based on certain language settings? Yeah, because uh, like kinda... that, that's generally the reason they use the, the PAL versions because obviously the, the North American versions just have English and the PAL versions have usually like English, Spanish, French and maybe German and Portuguese thrown in, which is the reason like th- that's the reason they do them because it would take a lot of effort to basically we rework the ROMs to include the languages in the North American versions, which I, I kind of understand, I get. But like when you're releasing them in Asia that way, I, I, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. It feels like there's been a lot of stories about decisions Sony make where it's like, I don't know what they're doing. They like... I don't know, like, not just with this story, but do you guys get the the creeping sense that since the last generation where they just whomped Xbox, that they have become increasingly and distressingly complacent about almost every aspect of the PlayStation business? It happens with every company that storms ahead, though, doesn't it? Like, Nintendo had all that arrogance coming out of the Wii generation and were thoroughly humbled by the Wii U. Sony, same thing. PS2 sold like hotcakes, came to PS3. It was a system nobody knew how to use. It was super expensive. They had all that hubris. Microsoft going from 360 to Xbox Xbox One. Yeah, Yeah, so basically, whichever the market leader is, gains an like an unhealthy amount of hubris and does need to be humbled yeah and humbled they have been um... though i i think this is the the first time where they've been humbled in a way in that no one can still fucking buy the console a year and a half after its release uh i I think that's a new one Mm. now some of that obviously is out of their hands but um yeah it's it's interesting i mean like you know in the article here they point out that nintendo has updated the switch online catalog for n64 games so they include both the pal and ntse version yeah they give the option which i think yeah, is very nice i think that's a tremendous idea uh, mm. and there's no reason i can think of why sony wouldn't be able to do this as well also yeah. equally cool touch when you uh, enable that in the nintendo thing they also show both box arts that's very yeah i didn't realize that thing that is it. deadly yeah yeah um, um but all, all I'm sitting here thinking is uh, when I finally get my hands on my Odin Pro, uh, my, my NTSC versions of those PlayStation 1 games are going to look quite nice. Joke's on, on you. They're all list. 50 hertz too. Oh, <laughs> my God. We had a news story this week that Sega have a new project they're teasing us with. Uh, this was teased through um, social media that there would be some sort of announcement this week. The only hint we've gotten is that there is like a, a picture attached to the tweet with a, like a very bad cake version of a Mega Drive controller. Um, so as to what this is, there's no definite... Uh, God, it is so bad! Oh, that yeah. Mega Drive cake is so bad! <laughs> yeah, it is It is horrendous. Especially um, in this era where, like, there's a whole genre of entertainment that is making realistic-looking cakes. This yeah. couldn't be further from realistic-looking cakes. Yeah. Um, like, is that what like, the, the community manager for that channel did over the weekend? It was like, mm. well, fuck it, it'll have to do. So I suppose without uh, knowing for sure what it's going to be or even having so much as a very strong rumour as to what it's going to be, based on that tweet, I would like to now open Reckless Speculation Corner with Garrett Kidney. Garrett? <laughs> All right, so it's a Mega Drive thing, clearly. Yeah. I-, I don't know. Sonic 3 Remake. <laughs> They're mm. going to remake Sonic 3 with even more Michael Jackson fake music. If it wasn't for this, I would really be pulling for the announcement to be... Like, if it wasn't for the image of the Mega Drive controller, I'd be like, please be Sonic Mania 2. 
Yeah. I, I want Sonic Mania too. I want it real bad. There was rumors that apparently Sonic Team are making a 2D Sonic. Yeah. In-house, which worries people. But yeah. yeah, I mean, like, surely at this point we should know never let fucking Sonic Team do another Sonic game again. But mm. you know, here we are. Um, yeah. I don't know, like, so we had the Mega Drive Mini or the Sega Genesis Mini, like, I don't know, did they do a second iteration of that? But like, yeah, they have, like, the, the Mega Drive games are on Switch Online now, they have their own, me- like, they can't drive, like, uh, in their Mega Drive nostalgia. They can't Mega Drive it. <laughs> Unless they're yeah. literally launching a new console, which is, like, Mega Drive 2. <laughs> wait, 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 I've got it, I've got it. A Sega CD Mini. Oh. Mm, or, like, yeah. like, the Dreamcast Mini, would like, people want that. I yeah. think a Dreamcast Mini is is an obvious shout. Um, yeah, yeah, because there, like you know, we've had obviously like a bunch of ports of bit, bits and pieces over the years and whatnot. And <laughs> at some point, maybe we'll get GameCube games on the Switch. But <laughs> yeah. Um, like, yeah, the Dreamcast is sort of like lost in time currently, unless you're obviously looking for, through through mm. other uh, means. You just you just badly want Seaman uh, in 2022. I know it. As always, as yeah. always, you're yeah. always you're always saying that nonstop. Always chasing you that sea man. Yeah, 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 you sure are, my friend. You sure <laughs> are. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Is that just like? Is there anything else that it could possibly be? Like, could you imagine? Could you imagine in 2022 if Sega decided to re-enter the hardware space? Oh, I'd love it. The chaos. I would love it. Mm. Um, it'd be great. And in typical Sega fashion, they would be, you know, like, oh, we're doing this in conjunction with, like, Atari or something. Just for that little extra je ne sais quoi. In uh, other Sega news, finishing off, and I know this is one that Mark is very keen to talk about, uh, interspecies erotica classic Sonic 06 (laughs) has been (laughs) relisted in the Xbox 360 store. Uh, Mark, as the official Sonic 06 correspondent of the podcast, I'm sure this is a banner day for you. I mean, my first question is, why wasn't this in the store to begin with? Yeah, Uh, you've been writing letters to Phil Spencer for years now. I don't give a shit what comes out in Game Pass for like the next three years. I wanted to know where Sonic 06 was. Um, okay, here's my first question for you two boys. Have either of you ever played this game before? No, I've only seen uh, clips of it, uh, particularly the clip. Yeah, neither. But I have a weird like gap in my Sonic history where I played everything before Adventure and everything from Generations onward, but mm. everything in that middle period I just haven't touched. Mostly because to, to, they're reviled and mostly thought of as being really bad. To be fair, I think most people try to black out Sonic between you know like the early two thousands yeah, in the nineties, just in general. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Um, it is without question quintessentially one of the worst games I've ever played. Um, I've never completed this fucking thing because to some degree it's a game that is almost impossible to complete uh, and that's uh, not through like intended intended game design. I love how this article essentially compares it to being like the it's like the room of video games. <laughs> to some degree, yeah, I it's more frustrating than the room because the room is just a thing you have to like passively be a part of where with this you actually are, th- there are times where you, you know, have to actually play this fucking thing. And at many times, this game does not allow you to play this fucking thing because of just how uh, clunky and unintuitive and just god-awful the controls are. Um, I I think this is only going for like a fiver, so I am going to pick this up just because, you know, morbid morbid curiosity to see if I can play this thing in 2022. Does it have Um, like the fancy upgrade that they give you for backward compatibility sometimes? I... 
don't know. Let's have a look. Because 06 uh, was a pretty good-looking game, which is about the only thing it has going for it. Well, I mean, good-looking in the sense that, like, the main assets are, but everything else, you know, is rendered in, like, very low uh, textures to, I guess, I don't know, stop the game from card crashing, probably. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It maybe has. I'm again. I'm gonna get it. Um, I probably will actually stream some of it because uh, I'm coming up to the end of college, so I want to start streaming again. And I feel like this is a, a perfect thing to start with on that venture again. So uh, I guess we will all find out together in the next couple mm. of weeks. Sonic you know, Six, by the way, once sponsored an episode of Impact. Oh, is that so? In which Don West said something to the extent of "It's Sonic's best game yet." <laughs> <laughs> There's God, something God bless Don West. <laughs> the best salesman of our generation, Ranklin. Yeah. There's there's something about that relationship which seems so perfect in hindsight. How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> My God. Uh, shots, shots fired. fired. Shots yep. fired. I, I should I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that this article has reminded me that it wasn't just interspecies erotica, it was technically interspecies necrophilia, as uh, that human woman was kissing a dead Sonic. <laughs> so it's art. There you are. Uh, haunting, on that note. a haunting note to close the podcast on but that's what we're going to do thanks for listening to another episode of Link to the Cast um, at Link to the Cast where you need to follow us on Twitter uh, to keep up with the new shows as they're posted to chat to us about your favourite Sonic news of the week um, and whatever else you would like to see us cover or what you thought of the show anything like that individually I'm at the day to Dave Mark is at Lithium Project Garrett is at Garrett Kidney and the absent Jack Lazell is at Jack Lazell thanks very much for tuning in we'll talk to you all again next week